The beautiful thing about a tradition working at the White House is that, you know, every few weeks, you know, the best photos of, of the last couple of weeks are chosen to be hung in um, large frames in the East and West Wing called jumbos. And so, you know, those photos were, were hanging on the wall. So it was always really neat when you're walking by and you see them stopping to look at your image and you sort of look over and kind of do a quiet fist bump as you walk by. <laughs> so that's always a, a great reward to see them um, enjoying your photos. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Glosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. Amanda Lucidon is an award-winning documentarian, filmmaker, public speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author of Chasing Light and Reach Higher. She served as an official White House photographer responsible for documenting First Lady Michelle Obama and President Barack Obama from 2013 to 2017, and is one of only a few female White House photographers in history. In this episode, Amanda describes what it actually means to be responsible for documenting the daily life of the Obamas for history, both inside the White House and around the world, and how she stays ready to photograph anything at any moment. She reveals how growing up as one of 10 children allowed her imagination and creativity to blossom. And we talk about the beauty of imperfection. Amanda takes us behind the scenes on some of her most recognizable images and tells us what she learned from Mrs. Obama about being human. She talks about the power of personal projects, bringing arts into underserved communities as a Kennedy Center turnaround artist, and her latest work bringing arts and mindfulness to a Memphis juvenile detention center. This is We Are Photographers with Amanda Lucidon, and this is her story. Amanda Lucidon, what a treat to have you here with us in person in our podcast room, uh, not just on Skype. So thank you so much for being here. We're excited to have you for your course that you're teaching here at Creative Live. But I just want to start by asking you, what is the role of an official White House photographer? Yeah, so the official role is to document the official events of the President and First Lady for history. So no pressure, right? No pressure. <laughs> what is, I mean, again, you take, take those words, document for history. Mm -hmm. Who are the images for? Mm -hmm. And who's kind of directing? I mean, that's kind of a big lofty thing. Who's right. directing what it is that you're creating? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Um, so you're documenting for the American people for history so that people can look back on this time and see these images. And one of the most interesting things to do at the White House was um, walking down the East Wing where I could see the photographs from previous photographers. Um, so, you know, sometimes events that were, you know, a bill signing that didn't feel especially creative was a really important moment in history. So looking, looking at those photos and those photographers and the work that they created and knowing that your work was being part of this body of work um, was just a really incredible honor. 
And so what is a day in the life? I mean, it seems like to us that you could be across the world one morning mm-hmm. and somewhere else in the afternoon. How does your day roll out? Exactly. Yeah, I always tell people that um, it wasn't a Monday through Friday or a nine to five job. Um, we worked when they worked and they worked a lot. Um, but, you know, each day I was inspired to be able to be there and to have that incredible opportunity to um, document history and to travel around the country and the world and to meet so many inspiring people and to learn about cultures. And it, it just was an incredible opportunity. So, you know, some days uh, we were, like you said, in another, another country or in two cities um, in the same day, or sometimes we were um, in town doing local events or at, at the White House documenting, you know, could be an event remarks in the East Room. And some days there were slow days too, but those were the days you had to be on your toes because really quickly a slow day could become busy um, because when you're dealing with uh, things happening in the world, things change. So there wasn't really a typical day to answer your question. Good point. Can you describe a moment uh, that is ended up being an image that you love when it was a slow day mm-hmm. and all of a sudden something changed and take us through take us through one of those moments sure so I remember a particular time when I had worked maybe 10 days or so straight because I had just come off of of an international trip and so you know when you um, miss the weekend it's not like you make up two other days you just keep working right so um, this day was particularly slow and my my nice colleague said hey why don't you head home early we got this covered and so I was like yeah but I think they're gonna light up the White House in a rainbow, uh, honoring the Supreme Court decision on DOMA. So I'm not going to go home because I don't want to miss that. So thank you. But uh, I, I stuck around late that night, too. And I was able to make that, you know, that photo, which had never happened in, in history. So that was important. Sometimes it's going that extra 10% that really makes the difference and pushing yourself when you're tired, you know, because... Um, you know, I always knew my job was ending. I always knew that I would be there for four years, and when they left, I would leave too. So I was always incredibly grateful and wanted to take advantage of every opportunity, Um, you know, whether it was a long day or uh, if I was tired, I just wanted to keep pushing through. So, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah, that image is really powerful, and especially knowing it had never been done before. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about personal projects. Mm -hmm. And you are not only a still photographer, you're a filmmaker, you are a multimedia artist, and you have a very powerful piece of work called Legal Stranger. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me about how this project, because it's kind of similar timing, at least I think, as to when you started to uh, work at the White House, Mm -hmm. Tell me about how that personal project kind of led into how you got noticed for this role. Sure. Yeah, so I think one thing that's really important is always making the time to do your personal projects, whether that's people are supporting them or you have a place to publish them. Um, for me, uh, doing long-term projects, documentary work, has always been the thing that, that feeds my soul. Um, so when I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was starting over, in a really competitive market, um, you know, it was hard to be able to make that time for yourself when you're also trying to pay your bills, you know. But I, I did that, and um, 
you know, I, I noticed that um, D.C. was legalizing same-sex marriage, and at the time only nine other states had. So I wanted to document that as part of the news that was happening. It's another historical moment in American history. So what started as a photo project, then I realized was quite a complex issue, then pushed me to try video. And then after shooting stills and video for quite some time, I realized, oh, I guess I'm working on a film. Um, so that work, which wasn't being um, financially supported and wasn't being promised to be published anywhere, was actually the work that was starting to win me awards and gain attention. Um, and, uh, and those awards um, got me noticed by prominent individuals in the industry. And, you know, one of those individuals was Pete Souza. So he had seen my work and, you know, um, invited me to apply for this job. So I really believe that uh, working on your personal projects not only feeds your soul, but you'd be surprised what doors open up for you. For me, it just happened to be the White House. <laughs> That's a pretty big door. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. What was that call like? What was the call like? So Pete Souza uh, invites you to apply for the job, mm -hmm. and then then you get the job. What mm -hmm. was that? What was that call like? Yeah. I mean, first I thought, you know, surely he must have the wrong number. I mean, he must be trying to call another Amanda. <laughs> You know, because I had only met him once before, and I wasn't expecting when I picked up my phone for it to be Pete Souza asking if I wanted to apply for the job. So, um, obviously, there's only one answer to that question, and it was I was just incredibly grateful to to be asked to apply. And, you know, I did kind of wonder, is this even, am I even right for the job? Because I'm not a political photographer. I'm a documentarian, you know. But it sort of took me a little while to realize, like, all of the projects that I've ever worked on that have been important to me have been um, stories about civil rights issues. So to be able to work for the f first African-American first family of the United States, you know, is, was, just a, was just a great honor. What did Pete tell you that it was about your work that caught his eye or that, that made him believe and know that you were the right woman for the job? I'll have to call him up and ask him. He still hasn't shared that with me yet. Really? <laughs> I'm just glad that he called. <laughs> so I know that there aren't that many uh, official White House staff photographers, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. However, when in your time there, you were the only woman, and I think there have only been a few women. Mm -hmm. Did that make a difference in your ability to photograph Mrs. Obama in a different way? Yeah, I mean, I think each photographer brings something, you know, their own unique skill set, um, male or female. Um, I really felt, um, I really felt grateful to be able to reach out to other female photographers that have had this role. Um, people that I admire their work, like Sam Appleton was in that role before me. Susan Biddle, who's a, a great mentor of mine. Um, Shayla Craighead, who's currently President Trump's photographer. You know, these people have shared a very unique role that that few people have had access to. So it was great to be part of that, um, that network and that community because, you know, I could rely on them for advice and, um, and sort of gave me the encouragement to be able to do, to do this job. You, you just said, um, gave me the encouragement that I needed to do this job. Mm -hmm. So clearly other people recognized right. that you were 
the person for this job. Right. Tell me about yourself and then why did you need other people to give you that encouragement? Well, I mean, I think every artist knows you have these sort of waves of creativity and, um, you know, you're constantly riding them and, you know, and most artists do feel like, I don't want to even say the word perfectionist, but, you know, they have really, uh, because perfectionist, I don't think is like, you know, shouldn't really be a thing, you know, because I'm a lifelong learner and I feel like by messing up a lot, um, that's also part of being successful. So by, by being willing to try new things, but so I feel like just everybody needs a community of support um, for those days where you are trying something new that you haven't tried before and you you want to do it, you know. Uh, I mean, even just like the first time covering a state arrival, I had no idea what that looked like. You know, like, well, how do I cover that as a photographer? I mean, well, I shouldn't say I didn't. I knew what that looked like, but I didn't know how you cover it because I w- wasn't a political photographer. So I think just being able to have mentors throughout my life, um, being able to have, you know, a community, being able to be willing to reach out when you're like, hey, I could really use some advice. I haven't done this before. It's a little scary, and I know that's good, because when it's scary, it means it's good, but I need a little wind beneath my wings, right? <laughs> so um, so I think we all need that. Absolutely. I, I want to go back a little bit, because I understand that you come from a big family, yeah. mm-hmm. and you talked about perfectionism. You talked about creativity. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your family growing up. Were you uh, creative in in this? And how many siblings did you have? Yeah. And uh, and when do you think this perfectionism set in? Well, I um, am one of ten children, <laughs> and so uh, and we didn't grow up with much money. So I think that's where my creativity was born. You know, my brothers and, and sisters and I just trying to create games and um, entertain each other and um, sort of performing for each other. Uh, we had this this great um, game we would play where we would sing into the garden hose. And if you were bad, <laughs> then we'd turn the garden hose on. <laughs> so you'd end up with a mouthful of water. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, you know, we just sort of grew up kind of um, using our imagination and um, and creativity, and you know, there was there's space for a quiet person in a large family and an observant one, and that was me. You know, so being able to, uh, I got my first camera when I was 13. A family friend gave me a old Yashica, you know, all manual camera with this you know brown hippie strap on it, and you know, it was my way to be able to explore my world and to be able to kind of go away from the. Uh, maybe the, the, the loudness and the chaos of being part of a big family and sort of just explore with my little buddy that was my camera. Um, so I think that my creativity was definitely born from um, not having a lot of resources and, um, and my observant nature is probably, you know, my role in my family. I'm the second oldest, the first girl, um, so I'm also very nurturing. Uh, so I think that's where my empathy and compassion in my photography comes comes from too um so yeah i i i wouldn't i my used to maybe i used to call myself perfectionist but i don't want to be labeled by that term anymore i just i would prefer to be called a lifelong learner thank you for that because i 
I often call myself a a recovering perfectionist. Or, or <laughs> I like try, that. Trying to, <laughs> tr- or you know, trying to build a different relationship with that word, mm-hmm. because if if everything as it is right. is perfect, right. then then that is okay. Right. But we put a lot of you know pressure right. on ourselves and things in our mind, and so I think it's interesting that you were kind of a quiet observer. Mm-hmm. And uh, along with that perfectionism often comes these you know, things in our brain that we're always kind of telling ourselves. Yeah. And So maybe saying like a high achiever or um, um, determined um, or, you know, persevering, resilient, gritty. Like those are words that I probably, that I would more like to take on these days. But I think that this, um, recovering perfectionist is a great way to... Um, describe it because I think perfectionism stops you from trying things. I think the wanting to do it perfect is actually a barricade. And it's like, I can't do it now because I'm not going to do it perfect. But I think it's like, there's so much beauty in imperfection. Because that means I was willing to try. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And it's probably not going to be perfect. You know why? Because I've never done it before. So it's not supposed to be perfect. It might be ugly and beautiful at the same time you know and that's what I sort of um, there's this garden poem that um, I always think about in times of growth it says take sunshine and rain with equal grace and that's how I feel about learning and growing like both are important for growth you can't have success without failure so I don't think it I don't think perfectionism exists except to be a barricade for, for, for progress so when you then entered into this role um, in the White House, I imagine, as you said, there's a lot of pressure. And how did you sort of mentally approach this role? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, how did you approach the, that part? Yeah, of it? I mean, you know, as a, you know, f- a photographer, as an artist walking into the gates of the White House is a pretty intimidating place, you know. Um, there's a lot of structure, and um, I'm not typically used to working around Secret Service, and um, and you know just there's so many logistics to learn, like which black vehicle do you jump into in the motorcade, because it, it only waits for one person, and it's not you, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that were like early anxieties, like oh my gosh, I don't want to get left behind. Um, but um, so I think there was probably a good six month period where. Um, I needed to adjust to learn all those things. So in, the, in that time, I was like, okay, make sure you're getting the, the pictures that are documenting history. You know, um, rely on all my, sc- my skills as a newspaper photographer to sort of troubleshoot pretty instantly in different situations. Make sure you're getting those pictures for history. But I don't feel like my pictures were very creative in the first six months because there's a lot to take in. But once I feel like I learned that, then I feel like I was really able to challenge myself to make more candid moments and um, more revealing images. And so um, that's what I really challenged myself to do, not just to get those official pictures, but um, to get those more candid and intimate shots as well. And so as you look through your book, Chasing Light, and the images that you chose for that book, and you you see so much raw emotion, mm-hmm. which connects us, to those images and to the people in those images as human beings and fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. 
And so was there a particular image in that you said, you know, the six month period of, okay, I'm just learning like how to do this job. Right. Was there a moment and an image where you said, oh, okay, now I'm like kind of getting in my groove. And what did that feel like in your body when you created it? Yeah, it was actually the picture that we're using um, for the class. It was Mrs. Obama laughing with her dogs, Bo and Sonny. And um, there was, she was taping a video message for the Easter egg roll. And so there was, you know, video cameras in the room. And, you know, it's not um, my job to set up any of that. I'm just there to document it as it's happening. So they're trying to get the dogs to sit up straight. And, um, you know, Bo's an older dog, so he was always ready to, to, to do what was ever asked of him. But Sonny was just a puppy. And so, you know, they were trying to get Sunny to sit up and trying to give her treats, and she just had her own ideas. And so everybody in the room was just cracking up, including Mrs. Obama. And, you know, that was that was the first image where I felt like, wow, this is, you know, for me, I'm a dog lover. And it was like I really related to this image. Um, was something that I hadn't seen before. And, uh, and I, that was my challenge to myself. I want to make more pictures like this picture. And that was probably about six months into the job. And... What was the what was Mrs. Obama's reaction to that, and did that change anything in in your dynamic? Or did did she see the images that you were creating, or did they just go straight to an archive, or did you get to be like, look behind the camera, look at, <laughs> look at my LCD screen? Well, um, the beautiful thing about um, a tradition working at the White House is that you know every few weeks you know, the best photos of, of the last couple of week, weeks are chosen to be hung in um, large frames in the east and west wing called jumbos. And so, um, you know, those photos were uh, were hanging on the wall. So it was always really neat when you're walking by and you see them stopping to look at your image. So you sort of look over and kind of do a quiet fist bump as you walk by. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's always a, a great reward to see them um, enjoying your photos. It must be. What, what a magical feeling. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the book, uh, Chasing Light, and as well as Reach Higher. Mm-hmm. I want to just talk about the title in and of itself. Sure. Um, and, and I'm wondering, combining the book itself and because and, it's looking back at your time mm-hmm. there, what did you learn about yourself mm-hmm. during this time and and how does that manifest or play into the title of the book chasing light yeah I mean the title for me is like you know photography means to draw with lights and we're always looking for the best light so you know chasing light um was an obvious title but personally for me it was um you know seeing the person that you can be in your life sort of being pulled towards something being guided by these lights in your life, you know, whether they're mentors or, or friends or family or, you know, uh, working for someone that's really inspirational, um, sort of these lights that are kind of uh, illuminating a path forward for yourself. And for me, um, it was a transformational experience, you know, not just as a photographer, but as a person. And probably, uh, you know, what we went talked about for perfection, letting go of the idea of perfection, and sort of seeing that there's light and darkness and every one of us and it's accepting both of those things equally you know and really seeing the power of that like you know that you know what I learned from Mrs. Obama is that you know the challenges that we've experienced in our life are not our weaknesses they're actually our strengths and when we come to embrace them with you know 
with with equal appreciation as the light, you know, the goodness. Um, that's where our, our power and our resilience comes from. And so I think sort of acceptance is probably how I would um, describe what I learned there is sort of acceptance of all of those things, all of the things that brought you to this moment and the imperfections and um, the beauty in all of that, um, the beauty in imperfections, you know? So, um, so it was a really a transformational experience for me. Did your photography change throughout that experience and can that kind of be seen within the book? Um, I think, you know, my, my approach has always been as a documentarian. So, um, so that, that didn't change, but I became more decisive in my moments. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times you're in very intimate moments and, um, you want to be, you know, want to be thoughtful about when you're making a picture. And so I think earlier on in my life as a newspaper photographer, you know, I would be like shooting a lot more thinking that I missed it, but I think my confidence grew, you know, I know my confidence grew and because of some of the things that we talked about having this circle of support and, um, and having acceptance of myself and and so I was and I guess even the personal work I'm doing was doing in my life and and really focusing on being absolutely present in the moment so I mean I was just a sponge because I was I mean we're really lucky that it's actually our job to be present to be an observer of life so if you can quiet the chatter in your head and you know, step thinking about, oh, that, well, that person has that angle or, you know, sort of just have trust in your instincts, have confidence in your ability and be very present so that you're ready, you know, and you don't need to make a ton of images. You just need to make the image. Um, so I think that that has helped me evolve as a photographer. Is there anything in particular that you consciously do to help you stay present? I'm just interested, you know, I'm just, so with the White House, um, you know, there's, you don't just get to walk around, you know, it's like, you know, most people don't just get to walk around the White House, but for me, you know, my camera was this passport, it was my hall pass, I got to go, and I was always early for my assignments, and I could be in these beautiful rooms, and while I was in those rooms, I was studying the furniture, and the paintings, and the carpet, you know, and because there's stories in all of those. There's artisans behind every, every piece of furniture, you know, and so just letting my brain wonder about that. And you know, I remember the first time that I um, had my interview at the White House and sitting in the waiting room thinking like, there's no way they're gonna pick me, but like, and I probably should take a selfie in the mirror, even though I don't normally take selfies, just because no one's ever gonna believe that I got an interview for this job. <laughs> but I remember being there quietly in the room and being like, congratulations carpet congratulations table and chair like you guys made it to the white house <laughs> the artist behind this you know made it to the white house you know so to be part of that that community that was represented in the white house was amazing so i think i just have a a, a wildly vivid imagination and that keeps me that keeps me present because there's stories behind everything so i'm always just evaluating and um 
I think yeah. if, well, first of all, number one, did you take the selfie? I did. It was like poorly lit and I was, you know, afraid I was going to get thrown out by Secret Service. It was just, I, you know, <laughs> it was a bad photo, but I have it. It's <laughs> the moment. Yeah. And then number two, I mean, I think that's so, it takes me back to you describing your childhood mm-hmm. where if you are able to have these conversations with the carpets and be telling the stories about a room that you're in Mm -hmm. and individual pieces of furniture you can tell a story about anything we all can right yeah we all can and so what is the work that is important to you now I know you've continued to Mm -hmm. devote a lot of efforts into different social issues Um, you've done a lot of projects on um, migrant farm workers, pregnant prisoners, homeless, homeless youth, turnaround arts. Mm-hmm. What is your focus now? Yeah, so I, um, bringing arts into underserved communities is something that's really important to me. Obviously, that's um, an authentic part of my own story. You know, I know that having arts in my life really changed my life. Um, allowed me to dream and it opened doors for me that I would never imagine would be opened. Um, so there was a, a really important program that Mrs. O- started under Mrs. Obama's leadership called Turnaround Arts, and that goes into the lowest performing schools in the country and shows that if you integrate arts into the curriculum, not just in art classes, but all day long, you can challenge kids to think, you know, use their imagination and their creativity. You can actually turn the school around um, and, um, you know, that those students came to the White House many times to, you know, perform at talent shows and, um, and to participate in workshops. And um, I was always, you know, in tears behind my camera when I saw these kids because I very much saw myself in them. And, uh, and so after leaving the White House, I continued to um, do work with Turnaround Arts, which now lives in the um, John F. Kennedy Center. And so, you know, on the book tour and, and, and in my own personal life, I've been able to visit uh, maybe 15 turnaround art schools in the last year. And it's I'm a turnaround artist with the Kennedy Center. So, um, you know, it's something that I continue to, to do. And I basically go to schools and share my passion for photography and storytelling and lead kids in a photo workshop just using a paper camera. Just because, you know, I think it's important. Accessibility is important. You don't want kids to think that they can't be an artist or a photographer because they can't afford a camera. Um, I know what that's like, and I think that you still can start training your eye at any point. So it's always really inspiring to work with these kids because they have tremendous, a tremendous amount of talent. And so, you know, the work that I started doing with bringing arts into those schools, and then also, um, you know, right now I'm working in Memphis, Tennessee on a pilot arts program with my husband and a team of artists and mindfulness practitioners bringing arts into underserved communities, uh, including the Juvenile Detention Center to help at-risk youth. So um, it's work that's constantly evolving and and it's a priority for me. How, Amanda, would you sort of define what that ultimate power of creativity is for an individual when they can realize and say, I am creative. Mm-hmm. I think it's the key to every door that exists in the world. I think it's, you know, the light and the darkness. I think it's everything. I think that even people who wouldn't consider themselves creative 
you know, if you're a problem solver, you know, whether that's as a parent or that's as, you know, a person who works in a big corporation, I mean, there's creativity happening all the time. And when you learn how to lean into that, you know, and harness um, your ability to sort of push through challenges using creativity, I mean, every block you get to, it's like you either turn around or you find a more creative solution that no one's tried before. So I think creativity is is essential to everything. Thank you so much, Amanda. What a treat to have you, like I said, here in person. Uh, where can everybody find you, find uh, work about the book, and just follow everything that, that you are continuing to create for yourself and for others? Sure, yeah, the book Chasing Light uh, um, and the book Reach Higher, which is an ad- adaptation um, of Chasing Light for kids ages 8 to 12. Um, can be found on um, in most bookstores on Amazon and um, in your local libraries, and uh, at chasinglightbook.org is the website for that. Uh, my personal Instagram page is a lucidon and chasing light book, and I'm not sure where you can find me. <laughs> Where can you find me? I don't know. Uh, I'm Creative Live, and you can find me um, in our class that I'm really excited about, uh, Creating a Life in Storytelling on Creative Live. And thanks for having me here. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for your class. Thank you. Me too. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. Be sure to follow all things Amanda Lucidon on her website, chasinglightbook.org. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us, and yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, we've got a class or two, or thousands for you to check out just head over to creativelive.com. For those of you brand new to Creative Live, welcome to our global community of over 10 million strong. We have a special gift just for you. Use the code WEARPHOTOGRAPHERS at checkout and get $10 off your very first purchase. The code is WEARPHOTOGRAPHERS, all one word, no spaces. In fact, you can use that $10 off to pick up Amanda's class, Documentary Photography, Creating a Life in Storytelling on Creative Live. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again to Amanda Lucidon, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.